namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tawara Ye Sodavanta Bamunjantu Sadang So this is the full moon of January. We've all uh, reaffirmed our monastic vows, Patimoka, and taking the precepts, following this tradition. It's a fortnightly procedure. And how we relate to it, you know, is encouraging a, an attitude that rather than just going through the motions, uh, that uh, can we can just be kind of uh, perfunctory in how we approach it, or you see it as a a reminder, a celebration of our life and our commitment to the to the holy life. I used to remember when I first came aware of the Patimoka, I used to my American mind used to think, you know, oh this is a waste of time. And some monk sits and recites uh, all these two hundred and twenty seven rules <laughs> and your legs hurt, knees ache <laughs> And you're looking, hoping that they do it quickly, get it over with, <laughs> all the kind of uh, defilements of of a, of a person who sees it merely as something you put up with in a tradition. <clears throat> and I remember when I first heard that, I was so impressed that somebody could could chant 227 rules in in a Pali language that. And I never, I'd never developed uh, like rote memory to any great degree because the American school system, they kind of, in my generation, they really uh, thought that wasn't a very good thing to be doing. So we were never made to, never encouraged to memorize. So I didn't know whether, you know, I didn't know that I could do it. So uh, I found out a very good retentive memory that I could memorize very well and uh, I got into memorizing all kinds of things after that but I remember thinking oh I'll never do that waste my time just doing that sounds like a you know a tobacco auction you know where (laughs) speaking (coughs) rapidly can't understand anything they're saying and Then my my fifth vasa, I'd, I'd memorized Padimokha, so 
and then, and then I became quite a star. So I, uh, first Westerner there, and the first, just wanted to do the Patimokha. So it kind of went to my head a bit. But as the, the emphasis is on, uh, awareness and suffering and its causes, I could, uh, you know, I began to recognize the, in the way I would hold the Patimokha, either through thinking what a waste of time or becoming, uh, you know, quite proud of the fact that I could chant it. And, and, uh, both extremes, you know, being kind of 100% behind it because it's kind of, a bit of an ego trip, or just dismissing it because, uh, uh, like I did in the beginning, because I, I didn't recognize how to value it or use it or appreciate it. So, <laughs> you learn as you go along. But then uh, they're using uh, the first noble truth as a reflection. There's always... Of, you know, this sense of, of really being aware of, of the suffering that you create in your mind. Which can be, you know, being very attached to, to very good things. High standards, principles, I, I, ideals and traditions and teachers and, and so forth. And then, or the kind of negative side where you, you, you're very, uh, you know, you've got bad habits and, and, uh, just, uh, and feeling guilty, feeling, uh, ashamed of yourself, or feeling worthless, self-disparaging, or blaming, all these, whether they're, they're on the negative or the positive side, the suffering is, is always the experience of attachment to desire. So, I mean, this, this I would keep Investigating until I could see what what I was attached to. The negative ones are quite obvious, uh, you know, in many ways. But also, I think there was a sense of uh, that self-disparagement was a kind of humility, you know, that you're very much not kind of uh, inflating your ego when you're, uh, or it seems like you're not really inflating your ego when you're uh, obsessed with your faults and flaws and weaknesses. And a kind of fear of, of becoming proud, arrogant, and, uh, supercilious, and, uh, not wanting to, to be, uh, you know, caught into that kind of behavior. We're reflecting on conviviality this morning. <laughs> this uh, emphasis, because uh, so much of our life can be a kind of joyless uh, existence of of just uh, endurance. Uh, how we how we hold to this lifestyle and its traditions and forms and its restraint and its principles and rules and so forth can, you know, if we hold it in a way that it just gets very depressing 
or very intimidating or very onerous or increases uh, our sense of how to use the the Vinaya uh, in a way that we just keep uh, feeling guilty and not good enough. You know, because the the standards and the uh, that are set in the Vinaya, if we take it personally and and hold it in some as some kind of personal intimidation, then we never feel quite pure or good enough and or mindful enough or whatever. Uh, and so we this uh, holding the Vinaya in a in a very through ignorance and through uh, attachment and interpreting it in a highly personal way can lead to a lot of uh, increase this sense of worthlessness or not being good enough, or to um, see the vinaya as something to to as a, as a standard or a criteria, as guideline, as something to help uh, develop awareness rather than some kind of personal. Uh, uh, Achievement or inability to live up to it through idealizing it. So this takes the reflective capacity, doesn't it, to take traditions literally or vinaya literally and and see them in terms of of uh, the way we we're culturally conditioned to perceive them. We can uh, use them to harm ourselves. So you can take the very best uh, condition or instrument or whatever and use it so that it it, it it's intimidating. It's it's uh, it makes you depressed. You get averse to it. Uh, you you want to chuck it out because it only makes you feel contracted and guilty and and uh, not good enough. So then you, just by observing that kind of dukkha or suffering, what, what, how am I holding to this, the Vinaya or the tradition or the life of a Buddhist Samana? How do I hold this life? And how do I, uh, you know, relate to it? And then we begin to see the attachments, the assumptions we make about it, the, the the distortions we can create around it. So that's where this uh, encouragement always to to be aware, to wake up, is the, is the, to be mindful. Is the is the the important message. Like having discussions about right view, samaditi, and uh, vichaditi's wrong view. And of course, they, they do allow a kind of worldly right view in Buddhism. So, I mean, recognizing that until you've had a transcendental experience or had insight in some way, then we tend to hold the, the tradition and the precepts and the teachings in through a worldly attitudes which is usually you know self-centered and and uh, distorted through our the way we we see ourselves and the world around us through ignorance 
So they general encouragements to do good and refrain from doing evil. Just uh, if one is going to live a, a a good life as a just an ordinary person without aspiring towards uh, realization or nibbana, then uh, you know it, if you want to to live a life that that is uh, makes you happy and gives you self-respect and uh, uh, allows you to to live the worldly life in a in a much more uh, pleasant way, then the advice is always based on to do good and refrain from doing evil. Be generous. Dana Sila. And we have this Dana Sila Pawana, this sequence, this Dana uh, as generosity. So, you know, I always I was impressed with uh, Buddhism because uh, in Christianity, we, we, it was more like, com- morality was a commandment, and, uh, that people who were immoral, you, you more or less, um, looked down on in some way. And, uh, you, you know, you, you didn't have, they didn't really fit into the Christian religion very well, as, as, in, in any way, the interpretation I had of it. And, uh, to be a Christian, you had to follow the Ten Commandments. Where with with uh, Buddhism, as I've experienced it, is that even with even if you can't keep precepts, it's to be generous. With a sense of starting with dana as a or generosity as a as a, a basis for happiness. In that selfless giving, generosity is, brings joy. Uh, we experience joy when when our when we're generous, and not in order to gain something back. <clears throat> and that the very desire to get something, I'll, you know, I'll give a lot of uh, money to something rather, so I can take it off my taxes or things like that. <laughs> it's always something that 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 takes the joy out of the action, out of the generosity. So this sense of selfless giving, of giving without desire for or for uh, anything back, and then one experiences what I call joy. This the, the act of sharing, of giving, because in itself it's its own reward. It's this, this that simple act uh, is in itself enough. Without uh, and when there are kind of Expected, you know, one expects something back for it. Then, then the joy is is kind of removed from the action. So I've heard people, you know, say Buddhists say, "Well, I've done so many good things. You always support the sangha and give dana and uh, and they keep the moral precepts and and I've done all these things, uh, but uh, what good has it done me?" You know, they begin to doubt, you know, because they've done it with a sense of getting something back for it. That kind of if I, if I, you know, build a monastery or give food every day to the, to the monks or on and on like this, I'll be rewarded for it. (coughs) 
No, I think giving in that way is better than not giving it at all. You know, it's not like you shouldn't do it, even if you even if you do it in order to get some kind of reward, something in return. But pointing to uh, the reality of experience. Now, this is that's how I my own experience is giving, sharing, without uh, as spontaneity as something just worth wonderful to be able to do. Uh, without, uh, you know, demanding a reward for it or acknowledgement, then uh, that in itself is, is one experiences what I call joy. Then the word happiness I always use as the kind of feeling you get when you you get what you want. You know that feeling where you want something and you get it and then you feel happy. And so then, <laughs> that happiness doesn't last very long, isn't it? Can't. Uh, you keep having, you know, people that are addicted to shopping and things like that, they, you know, they get happy because they get what they want, but then they, they want something else. <laughs> so you get addicted to it. So these are for reflection, you know, in terms of of our own experience. How does this work for you? You know, and this is what you know, you you can investigate and find out what how does it you know, what is the reality of this? Monastic life is, uh, you know, it's a commitment to uh, to the to realization, to breaking through delusion, to seeing the rea- seeing knowing reality in a direct way. So if we if we expect monastic life to you know, to make us happy or to fulfill our needs uh, on an individual level or to, you know, have some kind of magic result uh, just by shaving the head, putting on the robe and keeping all the precepts. If we're still doing it from this deluded state, then, you know, one has a certain kind of uh, inspired feelings and then it can easily go into aversion. Because when when it doesn't work anymore, when it when it when you're not getting any kind of inspiration or any highs off the life, then then you think your 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 way of interpreting that that it's not working, it's a waste of time, give up with it. Regarding to right view, then this uh, I've uh, this my my insight into right view is no view, not having holding to any viewpoint, but the the simple act of awareness. You know, before you create a viewpoint, there's a very direct. Uh, uh, 
it's real it's it's not it's not compounded in some way through through holding to some viewpoint you might get out of the scriptures or from some teacher so putting that as super mundane right view or the eightfold path you know this this is the, the developing the eightfold path or pawana so there's dana sila pawana the sequence the basis uh, based on a pawana based on a foundation of generosity and on uh, on uh, sila translated as morality but on Responsi- taking responsibility for uh, refraining from and uh, doing actions, speech that that uh, cause others suffering or confusion or delusion. Also, morality in itself, sila in itself, good sila gives one a sense of self-respect. It has its own joy, joyful quality, because um, we we can't respect ourselves if we if we just follow impulses, moods, feelings, and act on them, you know, because they can lead us all over the place. So this this uh, on this of, of just developing a sense of respecting yourself as a human being, as an individual person human being just to uh, live in a way that you can respect and then pawana is like uh, the, the developing this awareness to realize nibbana to, to open receptive to ultimate reality and then we put in terms of ultimate reality, because that sounds very high, doesn't it? Way up there. <laughs> but uh, ultimate reality is now, isn't it? It's, it's when we begin to trust in in this uh, empty state of awareness, which includes everything. So during this winter's retreat, the uh, the kind of emphasis and this, uh, this um, learning to to trust in this simple ability we have to be with the present in in a welcoming way, kind of allowing life to be the way it is, the conditions that we're experiencing. It's not up to us to to try to you know to judge them or to to control or manipulate or just trying to to get rid of what we don't like and hang on desperately to any anything that we do because that is very divisive and that it throws us into an endless kind of struggle with ourselves and with the world around us <clears throat> so the the uh, this welcoming, the sense of opening, uh, starting from this still point, which includes everything. And so, whether 
the, the what it includes uh, can be a myriad of conditions, good and bad, and yet they all belong in this moment, so that a relationship to them is embracing rather than uh, trying to struggle, clean up the mess, uh, trying to sanitize the mind, trying to uh, hold on to the good, which in in terms of of experience as a uh, as a deluded human being is uh, is uh, the first noble truth of dukkha, suffering. When we do that, then we're always in some form of suffering, anxiety, fear, worry. This encouragement to trust in this is is uh, uh, most important. This sense of relaxation, of trust. And when you really trust something, you can totally relax. Like if you really trust somebody, you can totally relax with them. Or in your situation that you you're fully trusting, then. You can you can let down all your barriers and and defenses and and just be with it and enjoy being the joy of just being alive breathing and that comes with with trust. But if we don't have that trust, then we tend to always see you know project danger and suspicion and paranoia, fears self-consciousness uh, project onto the people we're with even if they're, they're, they're people that love us we can still project onto them all kinds of other you know qualities fear of being rejected or betrayed or looked down on or whatever is, is quite uh, a common condition uh, that that we how we tend to relate to life can be an endless experience of of fear and suspicion. Then trusting yourself is a kind of, that sounds almost uh, paradoxical. There's no self to trust, actually. (laughs) In terms of... of, uh, I'm just using the language to point to that. Uh, learning to really value, treasure your ability to be awake, to be open where and vulnerable and receptive rather than your defenses up and your radar on always suspecting there's some something going to come and grab you or cause you some kind of pain or disappointment or betrayal in in relationships or in situations. But those kind of mental conditions belong also. If that's what we're feeling in this moment, paranoia or fear, then our relationship to that is welcoming rather than judging. 
don't let everything belong. You know, even your uptight, neurotic uh, behavior, if, it, if that's what you're experiencing, now that belongs. Their relationship to uh, the, the, your problems, your neuroses, <laughs> your that self-disparaging tendencies, your lack of self-worth, and all this, then it also belongs. But it's, it's embraced in this welcoming way rather than judged according to standards of ideals, you know, how you shouldn't be and shouldn't be. Then just notice the result, reflect on the result as you accept the conditions as they are, even if they're, you know, if you're sick and disappointed, depressed, as you open to that and receive it, what happens? And that's for you to find out. Now it's easy to, to understand the words. Now this is, uh, this is what you, what bhavana is about. Developing the Eightfold Path. Cultivating the Eightfold Path. This word bhavana is, is translated as cultivating. So in this sense of cultivating or in bhavana, it's an ongoing, it's not just sitting, you know, on, in formal meditation. It includes everything we do and the way we, you know, we, we live in our daily life in all its aspects. From the most uh, mundane, ordinary things that we do to the um, formal meditation practices, the Pati Moksha and the, and the full moon nights and as well as the whatever, you know, the flow and movement of the conditioned realm as we experience. So then right view is like no view at all. Or the view that includes everything. So one can say no view at all means I, I shouldn't have any opinions. Then you grasp this idea, I shouldn't have any opinions. Which is another opinion, isn't it? So, <laughs> so you can't, you can't deal with it on that level, you know, on just Thinking about it and analyzing it doesn't, you know, you just, uh, you just form opinions about having opinions. Views about your views. So instead of, of working on that level of analysis and criticism and thought and ideas, learn to trust in, in the awareness, sati sampatanya. So some people think, you know, when they think that, that that's just worthless. You know, the idea of just, you know, it sounds too simple. Can't get your teeth into it. You're just supposed to sit here and open to the universe. <laughs> so what, you know? That's stupid, worthless. 
Or if you begin to to trust it, it's priceless. You know, it's beyond price. But it doesn't seem like much of anything. It's not like being able to fly in the air, walk in the water, and and uh, produce mangoes out of the palms of your hands and. do fantastic feats, uh, miraculous feats, read people's minds, know all past lives, and be able to look at people's auras, and and uh, really, you know, really fanta- interesting, fascinating kind of things people can do. <clears throat> you know, that able to heal people with your hands, and have powerful samadhi that you can, you know, walk through walls, and and do things like that. That would be very impressive. This just attention and open uh, nothing. But as you begin to trust it, then what happens? So just grasping the idea doesn't, that's not it. Anything I'm saying now is not to be grasped, but encouragement toward, uh, your own, this, your own realization. I can't make you do it, like leading a horse to water. You can do that and take you to the stream. But whether you drink the water or not, up to you. <laughs> Sometimes you know you get so frustrated in this life. You think you, you lead them to the water, you lead the horse to the water, and then you you point to the water. You say, "Look, there's the water." And the horse is looking at me. And you, Damn it! The water's there. Stop looking at me. Look at the water. And then he gets even more excited and thinks I'm going to do something. <laughs> And I start hitting it, you know, forcing it, pounding, trying to take its head and pound it into the water. And it gets frightened and runs away. So, <laughs> so being too strong and on, John, you know, too forceful, can you miss the point? <laughs> then you know, you know, you know, this is all I can do. You know, this is recognizing that that's. That's it. And then encouraging, you know, as you begin to be aware and you, you, you know, you're no longer just looking at me, you begin to notice the water. Oh, I'm thirsty. <laughs> and all the descriptions of the water, you know, I say, look, the water's Cool, fresh, clean, wonderful. It'll so refreshing. It's H two O. It's <laughs> pure stream water. 
uh, guaranteed uh, in its purity that no uh, uh, cows or sheep have defecated in it. <laughs> and if you drink it, you'll only feel refreshed. You won't get sick at your stomach. You go on and endlessly describe how wonderful it is. You know, I want some, I want some. But where is it? And so, this sense of awareness, you know, being trusting in, in, like if realization is now. It's here, it's now. Nibbana is now. Enlightenment is now. Liberation is now. And, you try to figure that out, you'll go crazy. So rather than trying to figure it out, trust in, in opening to now, as it is. You know, not, not trying to find enlightenment because you've got an idea of what it is or you, you have some ideal. Because if you try to look for it, you, you won't find it. You know, if you, if you've got fixed view about Enlightenment and Nibbana, then you you're going to you know you you miss the whole thing because you you're so attached to your view about it, the perception of it, that you you can't recognize the reality of it. <clears throat> so this sense of opening and emptiness is you're letting go of all your perceptions, expectations, assumptions. So even they are belong in in this. So you. You're allowing even your your delusions to be delusions, but you're no longer grasping them. And so what is most near, what is here, really truly here and now, that never is is always here and now, wherever whatever state you're in or wherever you are, is is the realization the reality that is so present, so complete in itself every every moment that we 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 never we don't we we're always looking for something else. So this sense of always trying to to you know to get nibbana or you know get purity or or this is will always delude us because. We don't need to get anything. There's nothing you need to get hold of or nothing is lacking. It's learning to, to, to relate to the now in, in a different way instead of through trying to grasp and create more complexities into the now through your thoughts and desires and fears. You're, you're allowing all those things to be now that you that are part of this that are present the conditions in whatever qualities and form they might be and in that letting go and relaxing trusting then it's very clear the reality is not something you can find as an object. You can't get it because you already have it. (laughs) Recognizing it.
noise uh, samanas see that this this life is you know it's it, you've got everything going for you you know uh, it's on the on the condition level it's uh, it's all very good Or it's good enough. We don't need to have the best conditions either. You know, always looking, seeking for, you know, the the best that, that we can imagine. Well, we'll we'll spend our life looking for the best conditions and miss the reality. So then the present moment, the sound of silence, then the, the, as we, from that we create a, 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 a spaciousness. If you trust in that, you, you, you stop the grasping of things and, and trying to control and manipulate your consciousness. And that you begin to just so the attitude is not grasping the idea of the sound of silence as, some, as the unconditioned and then, then holding into it with that perception, projecting that perception onto it, but trusting in it. So you can let go of, of your views about it or doubts about it. Anything that you have around that perception or that, or the experience of it, you're just relaxing and trusting. Learning to Relate to it with joy and respect, conviviality, celebrate it. So you're, you you're not just seeing it as, if I, if I get into this sound of silence, then I'll, you know, and I stay with it and then I'll realize the unconditioned or, well, then you're building up a whole scenario of assumptions and grasping the ideas again. So even if you can access that, you know, the, the way you grasp that, the perception of it, you know, the way you, you create it into something more than what it is. We don't need to know what it is. We don't need to know, is, is it the, our blood vessels, you know, our circulation that we're picking up on or our nervous system in some way, or is it cosmic sound or is it, but it is what it is. And we try to figure it out. We don't, you know, we, we're, you know, we, if we do that, then we, we'll never really know it in terms of, of use it properly. You know, we, we grasp perceptions about it, views about it. So letting go of any views or opinions or doubts and and it's like like letting go into nothing, the abyss of silence. And that can be rather frightening, because you know, like something does give us, you know, uh, we know we're so used to grasping things or some things or conditions, and many, and in our 
neurotic needs and ignorance, we tend to, to hold to kind of, you know, a false sense of security. That, that we, uh, you know, that we, the worldly sense of security that we grasp. Like being an mendicant, isn't it? Is really trusting, not being able to have money and, and have a, a stash of funds, you know, back you up. What if, what if you want to disrobe? You know, what are you going to do? You know, well, you got to, you know, you got to have a little nest egg there just in case you don't like this life. It doesn't work for you. You've got, you know, something to fall back on when you leave it. And, uh, well, you know, I know many of you have this worry. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> Am I just, uh, uh, you know, being foolish, you know, not to, you know, it's just to, because, uh, you know, we've got to be sensible about this life. You know, and so common sense comes in in this worldly way and then we can, uh, uh, and, and that sounds, you know, it's a very reasonable thing to think, you know, in the, in the worldly sense. So it's kind of uh, putting yourself in the position where alms mendicant is can look like a really foolish thing to be doing. You know, like we're just very idealistic and uh, naive or kind of stupid in a way. And uh, and that's how it might seem to, to many worldly people. Or are you willing to take a risk <laughs> with your life, your whole lifetime, you know, really... <laughs> to risk it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I maybe I'm just deluded myself. Maybe I'm just spouting off rubbish to you, you know. Maybe it doesn't work, you know. <laughs> Could be so so this uh is uh reasonable enough doubt. Because security, then, you know, in a worldly, in a worldly way, is, is, uh, you know, just using common sense, being practical. Where security in this way is like being totally foolish, irresponsible, you know, just going into the abyss of silence and trusting in that. No guarantee, no, no kind of, Special clauses. So, sometimes religious people do look like fools, you know, to, to the ordinary world, because it, it, it might even be foolish. That's the risk, isn't it? You're taking with your life. So then the, the encouragement is uh, trusting in, in something that doesn't seem very trustworthy. Now this you have to, you know, encourage you to, to realize this for yourself. You know, it's, uh, you know, as you, and, and trust in, in 
in the, you know, through, through bhavana, as you explore, experiment, test it out. Because it would be foolish if I just expected you to take my word for it or intimidate you into thinking you should be just totally trusting and give up everything and and not hold on to, to your savings account or anything like that. But, and give it all up. Give it to the English Sangha Trust. <laughs> And uh, that kind of thing it might be a, a scam, and you know. <laughs> so, in terms of practice, then, and and this is where you have to trust yourself, because your worldly mind is is not going to trust it. You know, it, it's going to, you're going to be caught in the realm of doubt, which is kicha endlessly around it because uh, so you can't trust that you've got, you've got to trust in your intuitive sense in intuitive intelligence which is you know which isn't a, a kind of intelligence you get through through knowing all about Buddhism but through it's a natural intelligence it's a universal intelligence wisdom that comes through awareness that you can only realize for yourself as you as you as you r- recognize so i remember in in my own uh, experience of with monastic life and with practice you know just keep learning and 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 what in this moment can i really trust what is what is the constant factor in this moment in terms of my own direct experience through consciousness? What is the, the constant factor? Because thoughts come and go, emotions change. The body is always this, you know, changing in its, in its pleasure and painful feelings and The body I can't trust is not my refuge, or the, or the, um, my emotional habits, or my views and thoughts and opinions and feelings and moods. But if I take the position of the puto, the listener, the the knower, the mindful, intuitive embracing of this moment. Then that, that's, if I, if I begin to recognize or realize that, then I realize that I can trust that. It's something to, to really treasure and trust appreciate, celebrate. But in terms of worldly values, it doesn't seem like anything at all. <laughs> so don't let your worldly mind take you over. But, and, and experiment, just see how, you know, is it, what is the result? 
So in our life here, Amaravati, you know, the, the conditions that we experience here, good or bad or desired or undesired or whatever, you know, they, they all belong. And so we, you know, we, we trust not in the, in Amaravati, is not the refuge, not the place, or the condition part of it, but in the awareness that simple imminence, pure presence. And, and then I, I, I reiterate, it's, it's, it's intelligent, so it's a discerning. There's a discernment there, but it's not a critical. It's not critical, it's not evaluating, it's not saying this is better than that and this is what should be and that's what shouldn't be, but it's, it embraces everything, but so the discernment is, is knowing the conditions is the condition. But it's not saying, uh, conditions, we take it, and we shouldn't, we should let go of all the conditions and just live in the unconditioned, and you hold to that. <laughs> you, you, you grasp the idea of unconditioned, and then you have contempt for the conditions. So we can get a kind of mind that just sees uh, all this whole world is a, you know, it's a delusion, it's full of temptation, uh, even the good things are not to be trusted, and they're all, uh, you know, you shouldn't grasp anything, we hold, you know, all the, the advice we get, we can, we can grasp those ideas. And so we develop, we project onto the conditioned realm our own sense of it not being worth anything or judging it, criticizing it, putting it down. But the conditions belong too. You know, so it's not not taking sides. Not not trying to not passing judgment on the conditions. This discerning isn't a, a judging ability. It doesn't make value judgments about the conditions. It knows the conditions. It's very clear, very accepting, and very aware of them and, and their qualities without creating love or hate onto them, liking or disliking. So sometimes you get this this kind of view that... Uh, you know that uh, the you live in a state of just emptiness, uh, which kind of is like a a void where the conditions uh, you just have nothing to do with them. They they are kind of rejected. You have no use for that anymore. But that's another position, isn't it? We take kind of binding ourselves uh, in and deluding ourselves in that way. So even the, the worst conditions, the devils, the demons, the worm and the apple, they all belong. So we embrace them rather than, than, uh, you know, we start criticizing and trying to, uh, get rid of the worm. Then, so we can have apples without worms. And to have, uh, you know, sanitize everything, get rid of the mosquitoes, the bed bugs, uh, Fleas, the snakes, 
Uh, you know, like we want a, a sanit- sanitizing the world. You know, clean it up. Make it perfect. It's all clean and neat and ordered and uh, nice. Really nice. Makes you feel very safe. And it's so boring. You know, if you're stuck, everything's so nice all the time. And they say, now that, uh, that uh, all these allergies, like, we're so clean now in the West that we, we sanitize everything, so nobody develop, develops much resistance. So we're, we're easily taken over by almost any bug or allergy because, we, we, you know, people can raise their children so they never get dirty. As soon as the little dirt appears or germ, they, they have these uh, germicidal sprays. <laughs> it's fun, you know, when you're a child, you love to get dirty and play in the mud. And remember, my sister and I used to make mud pies and we used to eat them. So dirt belongs, doesn't it? It's part of <laughs> the conditioned realm, germs and all the rest. <clears throat> and in our kind you of know, taking size and value judging, then we, we've got we, we're going to create a society, you know, like the we've done, you know, in in so many ways. Modern life is we've polluted by trying to sanitize, make everything perfect. Now there we. End up creating incredible pollution, things that are much more dangerous than germs and dirt. So, in this way that we, we, uh, we reflect, then the, this, you know, when, when you, your thinking process, again, I repeat, it's, it's linear, it's dualistic, you know, Good as opposed to evil, right as opposed to wrong, and so forth. And that's that's the limitation. That's the limitation of thinking and language. And as I recognize that that thinking, analysis, critical abilities, no matter how sharp you might be, are you know they're very limited. And and if if that's all how you interpret experience, then you're limiting yourself to to a, a, a kind of dreary dreariness of rationality that you can't you know that you're stuck in and and it and it is depressing after a while because you you, you if you analyze everything too much think too much you you uh, you know you just you create more doubts more despair because as as clever and as intelligent uh, as we can be if that's all we're doing then then it, our life has, has no meaning anymore because we can't make the world we live in into an ideal that we have you know we, we try maybe when we're young we have we're very altruistic and we have great hopes and using our lives to to you know, create the perfect society and perfect family and perfect home and 
perfect this and perfect that and and, and whenever we you know we we commit ourselves to working on that level alone then we're going to be disappointed by it even if we're fairly successful at it it's it's just even uh, you know as a result it it leaves you know there's a lack there's something missing and so there's always a doubt and always a sense of discontentment dissatisfaction even with the best even we have you know if we uh, are good, have good fortune and have the best of everything there's still this sense of discontentment with it so that's not not uh, you know that through rational thought and that's a great gift you know it's a tool it's limited but it has its own it, it's valuable and it's uh, something to respect but not to limit oneself bind oneself on that level so then transcending that is through awareness because thinking belongs also language thought emotion they all belong to recognize that this this uh, simple imminence of awareness doesn't seem like anything and yet it's priceless when you think about it it's worthless So trying to explain this to, to kind of very materialistic people, it sounds it sounds worthless. You're wasting your life, tomato. You spent how many years now? Thirty six years? What a waste of your life. You could have been president of the United States. So <laughs> recognize that that our position in this society, maybe we do look like fools, you know. And you go into London sometimes, uh, you know, and you're wearing your robes, and <laughs> people jeer at you, and uh, you know, especially like somebody like me, they might put up with it with the younger ones, you know. They they don't know any better, but an old man like me should know better by this age. I walk around. <laughs> Walk around in the robes and shave and everything. What kind of uh, weirdo nutcase is that? Because in worldly values, I'm, I look foolish. But in but that very foolishness is, you know, is a, a worldly judgment, isn't it? It's, uh, because according to the values of our society, uh, you know, it, it doesn't, it seems worthless what we're doing. Say, what do you, what do you do up at that monastery, Ajahn Sumato? Well, we chant. And what good is that, you know? 
well, we, we, uh, we're very moral, you know, we keep rules and, well, I mean, you know, that's stupid, you know, you just, you can't eat in the afternoon and have no sex and things like that. It sounds, you know, like, what a dreary life, you know. <laughs> can't go to parties, dances, football games and watch television and all these things, these, you know, And then they think maybe he's the you know he he was never he was damaged as a child. <laughs> he needs the psychoanalysis or something <laughs> because is there is some kind of trauma that he experienced when he was young that we became disillusioned with life. <laughs> some people probably look at me in that way. But uh, so in, in this is where you know entrusting in your awareness, you, you're no longer putting your trust in the views and opinions of the society you're in, <clears throat> or in anyone else, even another monk or nun. You know, not to to say you know that 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 you know grasp my what, what I say is kind of uh, something that that uh, you 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 hold in and try to, to uh, through grasping it you try to to recognize it through grasping the point is to recognize the grasping as simple as that <laughs> then even if you 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 know you're you're grasping what i say in what i say it's true definitely i don't i only tell the truth <laughs> the uh, the grasping is a problem isn't it the just quoting the Ajahn or, or the, the Buddhist scripture is not enough. That's not, that's not it. So foolish people can quote scripture very well sometimes. You know, that's not, not a sign. Or you can, you can memorize very wise phrases from Confucius and great sages. Confucius say. <laughs> Uh, quote, you know, have impressed the audience with your knowledge of, of uh, perennial philosophy and wisdom through the ages. And yet be a very foolish person. Deluded and foolish person. So it's not in in being able to Say things that are wise, but in trusting, in awareness. And then even if nothing, if you can't say anything, it doesn't matter. Well, there are realized beings who don't talk. <laughs> There's not matter of uh, never say anything. Or if they say things, it doesn't sound very wise. But uh, that's not that's not it, is it? It's, it's, so it's a, a realization, like in the third noble truth, that the real the reality of cessation. And in this term, cessation is not annihilation. It's not we've got to take everything to cessation, get rid of it, and then that emptiness there—that's it. 
grasp that, hold to that emptiness. When anything's gone, you've killed all the germs. Use germicidal sprays on your mind. Everything's dead. Then it's better to have interesting germs in that. (laughs) Now that's annihilation, isn't it? Annihilationism is when we grasp that idea of emptiness as a as a kind of sanitized void of a sterile void and that then it goes the, the view of annihilation we grasp so it's not like that in terms of this moment is it right right now there's all this going on you know this the body like this the breath the you know what i see hear smell taste touch the the mood of the mind the Everything belongs. The germs, even if I'm sick, that belongs. Or the, the uh, pain in the back or whatever, it all belongs. The doubt, the tension, the despair, it all belongs. So there's nothing uh, that shouldn't be. So you realize what a relief that is, that, that our duty isn't to kind of go around, kind of sanitize the world and, uh, and, and clean our minds out and get rid of the bad things and, and, and hold on to the good. But what a relief, not, no, no longer having to struggle in that way, an endless struggle with, with trying to clean up the world, clean up yourself, make everything perfect. You don't have to do that. That's not the way. So it's it's uh, this trusting, imminent awareness, very vulnerable, you know. So you you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable position, you, and even your uh, fear belongs—the fear of being vulnerable, of being taken over or going crazy that belongs to everything belongs if that is what your is in this present moment so just just contemplating that you realize that's a relief you know there's nothing you have to do you don't have to Purify yourself and, and make yourself uh, do things and, and try to, you know, control everything, control your mind, control your emotions, uh, and, and, uh, and then control the, the situation you're in, control the monastery. But you can let everything get out of control. Not, we don't have to control it. But as we open to it, then we no longer, we, we can, we can realize the true nature of being, which is here and now, and never, is, is never something you lack, or that isn't, isn't accessible right now. So 
So in this retreat, uh, this opportunity we have, this winter's retreat, is reflecting on this, and just this sense of re- relaxing, sense of conviviality, in, in, in this community here, a sense of well-being, of, of you know, of being good to each other, rejoicing in each other's presence, and and uh, celebrating our life in ways of saying of, of relaxing, of, of of trusting, rather than going into my practice and you stay away from me, you know. And <clears throat> don't get in, don't disrupt my practice. That kind of thing is, you know, another dreary plane of, you know, controlling. So that that we see everything around us as some kind of threat. You know, you're into that, then you see everyone that, you know, around it is, is they're they're gonna they're going to. Cause me some kind of trouble. Oh. <laughs> <coughs> and do something that will upset me or whatever. And then we get suspicious and paranoid and resentful. So in, in this sense of conviviality is, is rejoicing in the, in our life together rather than, you know, and that's, that's, I'm not expecting you to, to, to be able to do that. But that's a suggestion. I'm not expecting you to go say, oh, I just love this community and everybody in it and, and, and get all gooey around it. But, but, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, you're holding to the idea again, you know, that, that you know, that you're, you're grasping the, the, the idea of it. But putting this suggestion is, is you know, what I'm trying to do is encourage this, this, this uh, you know, a community that has this. Then there is a you know a, a joyful quality to it. We we like each other. We appreciate each other rather than seeing each other as a kind of problems and difficult and and uh, endlessly you know trying to control it in some way so I don't get overwhelmed by all the disparate forces and the problems of this community. And if I open to the community and its problems and its and its uh, and everything that, that a community <laughs> generates, the relationship changes from from uh, trying to control and protect myself to to Trusting in the awareness, which includes everything in this community and both its its good and and bad aspects. So it's not like I'm asking you all to go around with smiles on your faces and and uh, and try to act joyful. <laughs> That's not it. But about creating a, 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 a giving a suggestion which is meant to to give you a sense, a direction, a way of, of learning to to open to the present and to to let everything be included in that rather than seeing it as a as an act you do that shuts everything out, the point that excludes everything. To the point that includes everything.
stay after this for your reflection.